1: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome back for a brand new episode of Collider Ladies Night. I have Aya Cash with us today. Hello, and congratulations on We Broke Up. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So for all of you out there, the movie is now in select theaters and then you're going to be able to catch it on VOD and digital on April 23rd. But Before we get there, you know what we do. We go back to the beginning. So my first question for you, Aya, is what is the very first time you remember watching a movie or show and saying to yourself, I can do that or maybe I want to do that?
1: I've told this story before. Um, my, my dad has... Imp- Either implanted a memory in me, or this is <laughs> this is real. Um, sometimes, if you get a story told to you over and over again, you start to think it's true. But um, I was watching uh, Star Trek: Next Generation, and around age twelve, and I turned to him and I said, "I'm going to do that someday." And he said he actually sort of stopped in his tracks because I was so serious and so clear that that's what I was going to do. And he maintains uh, that that was about acting, and I maintain that that was about space travel.
2: <laughs> so you have that moment watching Star Trek. What is the very first moment where you are actually doing it, saying, I- I'm here, this isn't just something I think I can do, but now I feel it, and I know I can.
1: So funny enough, there's actually, there's probably an earlier memory that I have, which is at age five, I was in some little, you know, short play at school, like we all did that, as a part of our schooling and um, I I fell. I was a princess and I ran and I fell on stage and I got up and I turned to the audience and I said, I'm just so excited to see my face (laughs) like because I was running to the mirror and uh, everybody laughed. And I remember thinking like, this is cool. Um, So I remember that in terms of performance and then, it wasn't till probably in high school, I remember I was doing, uh, uh, we had these Shakespeare competitions and um, I did a monologue for Midsummer Night's Dream which I didn't know was a comedy. And then I figured out it was comedy. And I remember the first time getting people to laugh at that uh, was, you know, it's addictive.
2: I'm very impressed by that uh, stage falling story. I feel like I would have just like run right off the stage and never come back.
1: <laughs> well, now I would now I like I, you know, try to do a UCB is my worst nightmare. Um, but you know, when we're When we're children, we don't have that little judgment thing that's stopping us from playing.
2: That is very fair. So I love asking about the audition process because I am always in awe of someone who puts themselves in that position and can take feedback like that. So earlier on in your career, can you give me an example of an
1: audition high and then also an audition low and how you overcame it? So audition high would probably be my audition for a play called The Pain in the Itch by Bruce Norris at Playwrights Horizons, which is how I got my equity card. So the highs are always the ones you get. Um, and I remember going in and I hadn't done anything in New York before. Nobody knew me. And playwrights is really great about seeing new talent and, um, you like how I just call myself talent. Um, (laughs) so I, I remember going in and, uh, it was a very funny, uh, role. And at some point Bruce said, how are you with kids? And I was like, terrible he's like because this role has to deal with the kid the whole time i was like i don't like kids and <laughs> for some reason my honesty uh, uh tickled bruce and didn't stop me from getting the job but it was very much a moment where i was just being myself and i wasn't trying to get the job by like saying something or doing something that was at odds with who i am um i was just very honest and i had a great time and that felt good. Cause so much of the time, the, the worst that you feel in auditions is when you are actually not being yourself or you're trying to do something or you're trying to like show them that you're this thing that maybe you don't feel. Um, and, uh, and then not getting it. Like it's, it's more embarrassing because you're like, I just, I just like compromised myself and then still didn't get it. Like I feel gross versus the ones where you're like, Well, that was my best and I showed myself and I was honest and I wasn't trying too hard and I wasn't, you know, whatever, uh, and I didn't get it. Then you feel okay. I lost a dream job last year, which was brutal. I, I was testing for it and I was so excited and so in love with the project. And I just built it up and built it up. And then I went in and the whole day, I just couldn't shut the fuck up. I mean, I was so, I couldn't stop talking. I was like, I was performing in a way that didn't feel like who I was because I was so nervous and, and I really blew it. I swear to God, I just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't relax and people can sense that. And, and then I went and cried for weeks.
2: Well, I feel like the overcoming it part of that is the fact that you have booked a whole bunch of cool things recently. What is it, like two TV shows, ne- new TV shows on the horizon? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I'm just, I'm just a little part in First Ladies, which is a Showtime series um, with amazing people. And then This Country, which will be on Fox, which is- Yes. Amazing. I'm going to ask
2: you at least something about This Country by the end of this conversation. But first, I want to talk a little bit about what happened after you got your BFA, because after that was in the books, I know you moved to New York, and I'm always curious to hear about the New York versus L.A., I guess, battle in a sense. So after you graduate college, why go to the East Coast instead of Hollywood?
1: For me, it was just I, I, I wanted to do theater, and New York was the home of, in my mind at the time, um, some of the best theater Uh, in the world, and so I wanted to be near that. Um, you know, there's other, uh, cities like Chicago that also has incredible theater. I went to school in Minneapolis, which has incredible theater. There's, there's actually a lot of pockets of theater, but New York had a a romance to me that I never got over. I always, I I knew I was going to come to New York and be a waitress and I was okay with that. Um, and I knew that I'd be happy living in New York when I wasn't working. And I also understood that that was going to be a huge part of my life to start out. Um, both my parents were artists and, um, I never had illusions of sort of, you know, graduating and ending up on a CW show and making lots of money. I, I always knew that it was going to be challenging. And the kind of uh, acting that I was initially drawn to was theater, which was never going to make me any money. So I, I was sort of resigned. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to be working a day job and trying to do this, where do I want to live? And I wanted to live in New York. I have always loved the city and still do. When did the focus shift from
2: theater to screen work then?
1: Too many, oh my God, how am I going to buy toothpaste moments? (laughs) Uh, uh, I mean, I I joke about that. Uh, Obviously, the money is much better in film and TV. Um, But it's also, uh, you know, it was kind of a balance. It was like, how do you get enough film and TV to pay your bills and still do theater? And initially, I'd say even the first 10 years of my career, I didn't get a lot of joy out of acting on camera. It wasn't really until You're the Worst that I learned to enjoy acting on camera. It was the, the opportunity to uh, play a character like that and to have it written on you and um, taken to those places. And the way we were allowed to shoot sometimes where we would do very long takes that gave me the same feeling that I would get on stage. And I'd never had that before because on film and TV, uh, acting is so truncated. You don't get the chance to to get going. Um, and I didn't think it was possible. As you were describing that, I was looking at one of the titles I wanted to hit, which was The Newsroom.
2: And I, I vividly remember your scene with Jeff Daniels in that. Is that an example of something where you didn't get the opportunity to get going? Because from my limited perspective as a viewer, it definitely feels like you two fall into step with each other in a conversation like that and do get going.
1: Yeah, uh, I think because uh, Newsroom was one of, you know, nerves again. Uh, Newsroom was maybe the first show that I'd been on that I had watched. So I was coming on, uh, and regularly, that I was like coming onto a show that I knew really well, and I knew all the people. It was a lot of New York theater people, and I was very intimidated. Um, so... I wouldn't call it fun, uh, but I do think it was uh, a really really good uh, lesson too, about how to get your nerves under control. You have to be word perfect on that show um, down to the commas. So (laughs) you have to be punctuation perfect on that show. (laughs) And I thought I was super prepared and I, I showed up the first day and I was stumbling a little because of nerves. Um, even though I knew my lines and, uh, it wasn't okay. And I, it was meaning, you know, Allison pill, like, you know, being like, I cry too. It's okay. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, really warm, supportive people, but I, w- I was so disappointed in myself that I ended up hiring someone to run lines with me for the next couple of weeks, every single day, just so that I could show up and not let those nerves or that intimidation, um, prevent me from doing my job. What is the end result of an experience
2: like that? Having gone through that, do you feel like you kind of have another tool in your toolkit, so to speak, that is helping you in another situation where you might have to adhere to lines and
1: dialogue like that,
2: or do you now know that maybe you don't want to take things like
1: that? No, I actually I don't mind either. I like to improv in in a in a situation like I, I don't mind improving in character when I know the character, the place, the the plot. Um, and I really enjoy that. I I also don't mind being word perfect. I, I, because theater is word perfect, uh, I'm used to that. You just have more time and, and collaboration and you're on a stage when you hit a certain mark, it's a trigger for that line because you also, you you have some muscle memory in it. So it's just different. But once I know the rules, I'm down to play in either game. It's just, it's just a slightly different, uh, set of, set of, um, rules. But I I like that. Uh, You're the worst was, was mostly word perfect, Um, maybe not as strict, but there's very little improv in You're the Worst, which is unusual for a comedy. So, uh, and that's because Steven had very tightly scripted it and and felt like that was important. So we all played by those rules and and enjoyed that too. I do have another film title
2: I wanna go back to, but for You're the Worst in particular, before that show started, I know you had a bunch of guest starring roles. Of all of those guest appearances, what do you think came in handy the most when it came to headlining your own series? Is there any particular person or showrunner that you really learned something valuable from that you took to that?
1: You know, I, I, you you kind of learn. I won't say any of the bad things because I also you know people can have a bad day. It doesn't mean they're bad people or that it was even personal or um, anything like that. But honestly, I learned more from from the bad moments um, than the good simply because you go, Oh, I don't want to do that. Or I don't want to treat people that way. I don't want, I don't want a set that I am on and semi responsible for as someone high on the call sheet, which is a bullshit hierarchy anyway, but, but if you want to put it that way, if you, if there's some sense of responsibility about leading a cast or a crew um, with the showrunner and stuff, I would say it helped me be welcoming to every single person who came on our set. I mean, I hope that everyone who came on our set felt welcome and good. And it's not like best friends. You don't need to, not every time I guest starred did someone, you know, make friends with me or talk to me uh, about anything deeply, but there's a a sense of we're all in this together and we're all artists, whatever role we're doing. Um, And when people don't treat you like that, which does happen, um, it it just feels terrible and there's no reason for it. It makes a better better job and a better show and better art if you're all like, hey, we're all in this together and I'm not gonna look at you like you're crazy if you speak to me. I wish
2: every single person in this industry had that mentality on every set. We'd all be much happier people.
1: Yeah. Well, but it's all out of insecurity, right? I, I used to joke uh, with a friend of mine about this. I was like, oh, that's their insecurity. Theirs goes outward, mine goes inward. You know, it's not, they're both su- two sides of the same coin, so I can have empathy for it, but the outward is, is really destructive, to multiple people, including yourself, whereas my destruction just sort of goes inward. (laughs) So both need to be worked on and I can have empathy that we're both dealing with the same things.
2: (laughs) I've never quite looked at it that way, but the next time I'm judging someone else for their behavior, I might think about that. So talking about number ones on the call sheet, what was it like being on the set of something like Wolf of Wall Street and watching a Leonardo DiCaprio give Like, go to an 11 in basically every single scene he's in, and just in terms of
1: how he carried himself on a set like that. Somebody... This just came up recently, and I was like, I haven't... I think he's the most impressive uh, actor I've ever worked with in terms of, like, a... that's not true. I've worked with great actors. Leonardo DiCaprio is a movie star, right? So there's no expectation. We we have very low expectations for how a movie star is going to behave, uh, prepare. He he's a he's an actor. He's a real like he he comes incredibly prepared. He knows everyone's name. He's kind. He's professional, um, and. Uh, it really blew me away because I hadn't um, I, I don't know you you wash these people with the same brush right because it's like famous movie stars um, or he's dating so and so or the, the nonsense that we we sort of put out about people he he's really spectacular and and everyone on that set I mean I remember standing next to like can I tell these stories <laughs> um, I remember standing next to John Favreau who was there for a couple days and he was just standing next to me and he was like, isn't this amazing? Like he was just as in awe as I was. He was just so like excited to be there. And he was like, you have no idea how, like how Marty Scorsese's movies, like what they've meant to me. This is amazing that I'm here. And I was like, that's great. I want, I want to always feel like that.
2: I feel like that probably reflects why John Favreau is such a good director and producer too. Cause I, I think you could feel that love of cinema and the stories that he's creating, kind of radiating off the screen of his uh, films and shows. And I love that quality about them. Yeah. On that set, you are right smack in the middle of a lot of uh, significant set pieces with wild behavior of the bunch. What was, I guess,
1: I guess the craziest. <laughs> um, I can tell a story about a, a scene that I'm not in, actually. (laughs) Um, The craziest for me was the animals. Like when the animals showed up and you realize they're getting paid more than you are, it's a little insane. But, um, for me, the craziest story I heard, and I won't say who the actor is, but there's a certain scene where, um, they're, they're in an orgy and, um, They had hired actors and non-actors, wanting people to be comfortable with their bodies because there's a lot of nudity. And there was some confusion about what was real and what was not. And this actor had to say to his scene partner, "Um, please stop licking my balls, it's fake. (laughs) You're gonna probably have to cut that.
2: (laughs) I feel like anything goes on this show. (laughs) Yeah, uh, a story like that does not surprise me on that set. That movie is wild and incredible, and I have not been able to stop watching it. And that book, too. Have you ever read the book? Yeah. Fascinating.
1: I read the book. It's fascinating and deeply, deeply upsetting. Yeah. Uh, The Quaalude scene is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I
2: was re-watching the movie just to prepare for this, and I might have stopped on that sequence and watched it multiple times. Because, it, like, it doesn't matter how many times I've seen it, it makes me laugh out loud every single time. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Let's go back to You're the Worst briefly, because I'm curious about your experience, not even necessarily after the show wound down, but even when it just took off. What does that do for you from a career perspective? I imagine it like blows the doors wide open to maybe opportunities you didn't have before, but is it a situation where you're getting a lot of the same types of opportunities? People see you do that and then they want more of that and that alone.
1: Yeah, I would say yes and no. There's this um there's this myth in well, <laughs> in America and our culture and but specifically in Hollywood that you get a job that makes it all easy again Uh, and you don't have to audition and you're just fielding offers. You know, people would ask me after like season two, of you're the worst, they're like, what do you want to do next? And I was like, I don't have any options. Like, give me a job. There is not, there's not like, just because there's some attention on something or you're having some success in a role does not mean that all of a sudden everybody is offering you, you know, the hunger games or whatever, you know, there's this, that question would always be like, I'd be like, do I lie? Am I like but it does change your life too, because you do get, I had never gotten an offer before you're the worst. So I did get some offers, but it wasn't like it changed everything. Um, uh, But a lot of those offers are things that are very similar um, for character. And I get it because, you know, people are spending lots of money on these things and they want to make sure they're hiring someone who can do the thing that they want them to do. Um, So I have tried, you know, this, like, I I hate to even say I've tried, I try to be pickier because sometimes I don't, sometimes I don't even have the option to be picky. And my pickiness means like not working, not like I'm just picking between roles. Um, Funny enough, this is, uh, I know we're not there yet, but we broke up was my first offer ever. And it was for, it was six or seven years ago. So that's the journey of an indie film is I was offered this around season two. I think of you're the worst. I sat down with Jeff. We had a meeting. We like, you know, went to coffee. He seemed lovely. I was so excited to get an offer for a movie to play the lead. It was like, you know, I normally I was auditioning for these and um, kind of, course i said yes and then it didn't come together until six years later and they're like but well, you still do it and i was like yeah of course like i you know i when i make a commitment i try i've had to pull out of things but i try to only say yes to things that i want to do and um it was so lovely to come back around and be able to do this with him
2: I love hearing that you uh, you stayed attached to it for that long. And I think uh, I think that benefited everyone involved. I can't imagine that movie with uh, any other leads but you and William.
1: I won't tell you who it was six years ago. Before The Good Place, before, you know, the, there, was, there was someone else attached back in the day, uh, which is just so crazy because, you know. I don't
2: want to put you in that position, but I, I truly meant, like, I can't see anybody else in this movie now. <laughs>
1: I just don't want to get in trouble with anybody. Understand. I mean also Will being in it was like he's just the the dreamiest human as well as one of the best actors. He is wonderful.
2: Before we jump into that, you know where we have to go now. It's The Boys. So maybe let's start with can you can you walk us through how The Boys was maybe pitch to you. You hear you get this opportunity to join the ensemble of a really hot TV show after season one. Then you hear more about the role that you're going to play, which is a a pretty vile individual. So at that point, is there any hesitation to jumping in or are you just like, let's go for it?
1: So again, this is that myth. I auditioned for the boys. Um, and the boys wasn't out yet when I auditioned for it. So it wasn't a big hit show. I- It was probably February of when 2018 or 2019, oh gosh. The 2020 year has messed everything up for me. Anyway, so it was was, uh, a few months before season one came out. They hadn't even been picked up for season two, but they had to hire someone to play this role because uh, they needed to build the suit on the body that was gonna wear it. <laughs> so um, they had not picked up for season two, but I got hired. Um, I went in, I auditioned. I did a um, like a 20 minute uh, sort of talk with Eric about the role uh, because I'd been told already going into the audition, like, look, the sides don't really say this, but this is gonna be a complicated role. And uh, I have no problem playing deeply unlikable people um or villains um but obviously this was going to be something that uh, needed to be handled with uh intelligence and was um not going to be glorifying this uh character in a way that i disagreed with um that it would be in service to something um so after talking to eric i felt in very very good hands um and then uh yeah, and then they started building the suit. Every two weeks I, I flew to LA to do another um, suit fitting, which was just a wild, wild experience and so much fun. And yeah, as we went through and as scripts came through and I learned more and Eric sort of told me the arc of the season before we started as well, um, you know, I, I got very excited and nervous cuz it's a big thing that they were trying to pull off and and I, you know I hope I hope that we did.
2: In my opinion, you definitely did. What was it like when the show was airing and just interacting I guess with the the fan response to it because I imagine on the one hand, in the beginning of the season, you have fans of the comics being like, that's not Stormfront, what is this? And then all of a sudden the big reveal happens and you've got a whole bunch of people who have never read the source material being like, holy shit, like, who is this character? So what is it like from your perspective? Do you have to just, you know, sit back, relax, and kind of let it happen? Do you like jump into those conversations at all?
1: Yeah, I had to sort of step away from the conversation because it was... uh... Because I couldn't talk about what was happening, um, and what was going to happen. Um, and I, you know, I definitely had moments where I felt terrible that people might have been hurt by, um, by this character and seeing this character. I mean, let's be honest, 2020 was an incredibly intense year for many, many reasons, um, with the pandemic but you know, also with a racial reckoning in America and I'm playing a white supremacist. So uh, a lot of feelings were coming up and, and I wanted to be like, don't worry, like she's gonna get hers. There's no way that this is okay. No one is saying this is okay. Um, and and trust that the writing and the, you know, I hadn't seen him either. So, so trust that everything was going to come together and that people were going to feel satisfied and maybe there'd even be some catharsis around it and that, uh, spark some discussions. What I love about sci-fi and fantasy, and I've said this before is, is that it's the best of it is commenting on the time that we're living in, but you are, um, removed by the element of fantasy or sci-fi, that you are able to see things sometimes clearer because it's not so personal. So I was, I was hopeful that that would be where we ended up, but I couldn't interact in the same way or I felt nervous about interacting because I couldn't talk about it fully until the end and And it sucks to hurt people. It doesn't feel like there's no enjoyment that I get out of like, <laughs> just wait until I kill that family. I mean, it's, it's you know, she's, she's bad. Um, and there are fun moments of bad, but there are also just, she's disgusting.
2: Again, one, one limited perspective here, but I thought the show balanced that quite well and that you were excellent in the role Before we leave the boys, I'll just ask you, how many times have you been asked if you're returning for season three? So many.
1: (laughs) So many. I'll stick with
2: that angle then and maybe not (laughs) ask you if you're returning to season three. (laughs) All right. Let's go into We Broke Up. I was reading the, the press notes, and one of the things I found really interesting about this project is a lot of the folks involved have theater backgrounds, as you've already touched on, because Jeff and Laura worked on plays together. I know William Jackson Harper has a theater background as well. So, do you find those sensibilities coming in handy while making the movie, even though you're making a feature film now?
1: Yeah, I mean it's just a it's just a sort of common language thing. You you. Um there might be not exactly the same way of working but similar ways of working preparedness is is one of them i think i do think theater people tend to theater people in brits (laughs) tend to be more prepared simply because that's the style of working that we're used to um if you come out of uh sort of come up just through film and tv there's also been a lot of bad behavior models where people don't know their lines or don't read the script sometimes. <laughs> and so you don't necessarily know, I mean, if that's what you've done, but in theater you, you have to be memorized. So there's a, there's a certain aspect of that. We also had a, a ton of people uh, from, we had some groundlings uh, in Emily P- Pendergast and Tony Caballero are both groundlings people. So they have their own play language. Um, so it was kind of a mix, but a lot of live performance people on there, which is fun. And Kobe Libby's from theater. Um, yeah.
2: What was the uh, general vibe on set like? Was, was it basically like making a movie at summer camp or did that kind of, uh, that tinge of sadness and heartbreak that's, you know, underneath it all come through and, I don't know, make the vibe a little more serious than one might expect?
1: Nah, we had fun. <laughs> it was a great time. I mean, we were shooting in Malibu. We, we finished, like, a week and a half before the shutdown. It was unseasonably cold uh, in Malibu. So that was the only downside. We were like, we're going to Malibu for the... Oh, it's freezing. <laughs> and we're in bathing suits. Um, but uh it was very, very fun. Um, And I- I've rarely been on a movie of that size, with that size of cast, where we all had so much fun together. I mean, it was... Uh, It was just a blast. So hopefully that comes through. (laughs) It looks like
2: it big time. And my sister had her engagement party at our childhood summer camp. So it brought me right back to that, which of course was like a day filled with drinking games. So to have all those memories come flooding back was especially delightful. And with that in mind, we're gonna do a little movie dream team type thing here. If you could recruit three co-stars from any project you've made in the past and assemble a winning team for Paul Bunyan Day, who would you choose and why?
1: Um. Okay. I. Uh, well, I got I gotta go. Will, because Will is, as we know, uh, secret jacked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um. So I'm definitely taking. Will. And also, he's very, very smart. Uh. Uh, very smart um so i'm gonna go with will uh but then we need like a real good drinker like someone who won't get who can like hold his alcohol or her alcohol um i'm gonna say chris gear because the brits know how to drink um and uh and yeah he he could probably get through Paul Bunyan day without getting uh, wasted. And then, um, I'm going to say, uh, where, where are my women? I, I need some ladies. Uh, whatever. I'm taking Kether. <laughs> <laughs> I respect that choice. Yeah. Uh, Cause Kether would probably, uh, do it all wrong, but m- make you have more fun than you would if you did it right. <laughs> That is such an important quality right there.
2: Before we roll into the end of Ladies Night, I have one more, uh, we broke up question for you. What was it like working with a director with such significant AD experience? Cause I feel like we don't value ADs nearly enough. And that makes me think that this project was probably a real well
1: oiled machine and super on schedule. Yeah, I don't remember us being behind. I think we shot pretty much on time. Um, yeah, well he also just knows every role and so many people came onto this movie because they had worked with him uh, in the AD department like Alexis Jacks is the costume designer she worked on the good place all these people came and sort of were like you know we're going to we're going to do some favors for Rosie and and which is what everyone calls him we're going to we're going to like show up for him because he'd worked with every department and sort of knows what they need and what's important to them. And, and that was so lovely. So yeah, it was good.
2: I lie, one more question before we go into the end of Ladies Night, which is rapid fire questions. Cause um, we have to go back to this country because correct me if I'm wrong, but I was reading that you guys had shot a little bit right before lockdown started. And then just based on that little bit of footage alone got picked up for the full season, right? So well, what is it that was so special about that shoot that we have to look forward to that justified a pickup for a full season?
1: Honestly, I mean, first of all, the writing is wonderful. It's Jenny Bix, uh, Paul Feig directed. I mean, great auspices. But uh, I think the secret sauce is the cast. And it's a cast, It it actually speaks to Paul and Jenny because they found an almost entirely unknown cast who are going to be the next generation of comedy stars, truly. These, this group uh, has been found on Twitter, on YouTube, (laughs) um, like through non-traditional forums and they are some of the funniest people that I have ever worked with. Like they're truly unique, interesting, uh, folks, uh, Justin Linville, Crystal Smith, uh, Sam Straley, uh, Chelsea Holmes, uh, who is number one and is, I mean, Taylor Ortega, they're, they're, it, that, that cast is stacked and nobody knows them yet. And that's the most exciting thing about that show for me is that show's going to come out and, and you're going to find all your new favorite comedians.
2: As though I couldn't be more pumped for that show. Now you made me really excited. All right, random question time. Let's go with what's a new hobby that you picked up during lockdown?
1: <laughs> what an old hobby I picked up is depression, and a new hobby that I picked up. Is, uh, I did a, a hundred days of Duolingo, that um, that didn't last. <laughs> Uh, I picked up and put down a lot of hobbies. I bought everything to start tie dyeing That never happened. Um, I, <laughs> I feel like I, I attempted, uh, I, I'm working on a screenplay. We'll see if that ever comes out. <laughs> That's a pretty big one there. Um, I just, I feel like I, like most people, uh, and except the ones that you see all over the internet, you know, being all productive, I, I, attempted and failed at a lot of hobbies.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm definitely uh, joining you in that boat there. Next question, would you ever get another tattoo?
1: Oh yeah, I might maybe this week.
2: <laughs> I feel like that's that's my new lockdown hobby is just googling new tattoo ideas every other day.
1: Oh, I have it drawn already. My friend Colby Maniffy who plays Ashley on the boys has uh, has drawn my new tattoo which is uh um well, you'll just have to see, but it's something that I, I have wanted for a while. My publicist is calling me. That might be, that I have to go. All right. We end every ladies
2: night with this question. It can That's be a it. deep question. You could take it in a lighter direction if you prefer. What is the biggest fear that you've ever had that you've actually managed to overcome?
1: Skydiving. <laughs>
2: As a two-time skydiver, I approve.
1: I did it for charity, which made me feel, you know, like, oh, I'm being so good. You know, I'm doing this for, uh doesn't make it less scary. <laughs> it was still scary.
2: I'm going to let you answer that publicist call. You've got a lot of things okay. to go out and promote and celebrate right now. And I will tell everybody again. We Broke Up. It's going to be available in theaters now while you're watching the interview and then on VOD and digital on April 23rd. Do check it out. Aya, thank you for your time and congratulations. Thank you so much.